join me in our responsive welcome. No matter who you are or where you are in life's journey, you are welcome here. No matter who you are or where you are on life's journey, you are welcome here. No matter who you are or where you are on life's journey, you are welcome here. And you are wanted and you are valued here. We have stories of faith that connect us, whether you're in Connecticut, Colorado, United States, or Europe, or anywhere in the world. This morning we are continuing a sermon series that started last week on community organizing. And if I had to guess, I would say that the church is where community organizing was born. We were having a conversation before worship about the birthplace of basketball, which is not yet resolved and will continue next week. But I'm pretty certain that community organizing uh, came from the church. And this week we're gonna talk about the work of community engagement. And in that spirit of community engagement, I have engaged a few different community members to lead different parts of the service. And as I was in conversation with one of those people, Katie Weiser, who's gonna share a reflection in a moment, the scripture passage that came to mind was the loaves and the fishes. Have you heard of the loaves and the fishes? Yeah. So, when you hear that phrase, or the reference to that story, one of the questions that's important is, which one? Which story of the loaves and fishes? Because there's more than one. There's the feeding of the 5,000, which is probably the one that you think about because it's in every gospel and it shows up in our lectionary, which means it comes up a lot. Or the feeding of the 4,000, which is not in the lectionary. The feeding of the 5,000 is when the disciples say to Jesus, we gotta send these people away. Which sounds a little different with the news cycle that we've had this week. These people are hungry. We definitely don't have enough to feed them. And it's gonna cost way too much money. So just send them away. Jesus says, no, you feed them. In the feeding of the 4,000, it goes a little bit differently. Jesus says, I have compassion for these people who have gathered, for this great crowd. They've been with us for three days and they've run out of food. We can't let them leave hungry. In each case, whether it's the feeding of the 5,000 or the 4,000, Jesus asked the disciples, what do you have? Go and see. In other words, go take an inventory. What's on the shelf? What's in the bag? What do you have to offer? And the answer always comes up to be seemingly not enough. Five fish, Oh, sorry, five loaves, two fish, seven loaves. This young person right here has a few fish and a few loaves. And what unfolds from there is the reason these stories are considered 
miracle stories. Because this seemingly not enough leads to an exorbitant amount of leftovers. And it's worth remembering that the origin of the word miracle in Greek means to wonder, to marvel. In other words, it's worthy of our pondering and contemplation because something extraordinary has happened. If you've heard these stories enough, you know that the extraordinary is God's specialty. The extraordinary is the Spirit's work in communion. And Katie Weiser has an extraordinary story to share. And through the eyes of the Christian tradition, it demonstrates God's spirit at work and the work of community engagement. Thank you, Katie, for being here this morning. Good morning. For those of you who don't know, Longmont Meals on Wheels prepares and delivers meals to homebound older folks and people with disabilities in Longmont and Niwot. But during the height of COVID, we had to significantly change how we operated. We eventually started partnering with restaurants to feed our participants during the stay-at-home order. This was to help us have frozen reserves in case there was a quarantine in our kitchen and have a network of relationships ready if someone needed to step in and cook for us should a quarantine need to be longer than two weeks. The way that this solution came about is through a web of relationships laying the groundwork for the solution. The solution wasn't obvious, and it didn't come without compromise. Sarah asked me to come and speak to you all today about community organizing, specifically engaging with the public sphere, which sometimes needs to be nothing more than our relationships, leaning into relationships, both old and new, when a problem arises in the community that needs to be tackled. Our board president had been warning our executive director, Carla, since mid-January to be prepared to make big changes. He was on boards that supported assisted living homes around the world, and what he was seeing was worrying him. The lack of preparation to support older people was leading to dire consequences in some countries. At first, she dismissed him, or assured herself that that couldn't happen here. But because of her close and trusted relationship with him, she kept it in the back of her mind. The next relationship brought unexpected advice. On March 10, I sent an email to the people at four community foundations based on the reported rumors that the World Health Organization would declare this a global pandemic and Colorado would likely follow by declaring a state of emergency. We had a plan to help us respond and prepare, though it didn't yet involve us leaning into outside relationships for programming changes. It was something we already do, but larger. Every fall, we send out blizzard bags, three days of shelf-stable food that doesn't require any preparation in case of bad weather. For COVID, we were going to quickly send out one week's worth of this shelf-stable food in case we needed to, to close for a week to flatten the curve. Remember when that's all that we were trying to accomplish, <laughs> flattening the curve? I don't think we were thinking in terms of quarantines yet. Still all innocent at this point. What we did know was that this would have a greater and faster impact on our participants than the average person. So I asked the foundations to rely on their web of relationships and see who could support this effort as quickly as possible. 
but that we were already buying food. They all got back to me quickly, but one called me almost immediately. She wanted me to walk her through the plan. She has always struck me as an ideas person, a think out loud kind of person. And she started just casually talking out loud about what we could do longer term and how restaurants had already started reducing staff hours and maybe we could hire those servers to help. I let her know that we still did have our volunteers, our delivery and kitchen volunteers, that we could keep cooking and build up some reserves and get out these shelf-stable supplies. I don't know why I ever told Carla this story. She and I often decompressed together, relying on our relationship with each other to get through it all. I probably told her as a lovely anecdote about how supportive the community foundations already were. Well, we didn't use her ideas, feeling free in relationships to get your ideas out, no matter if they could work or not, is important. That creativity can lead to community engagement and action. That conversation sat in the back of Carla's mind, even though we wouldn't partner with restaurants in that way. The next day, the World Health Organization did declare COVID-19 a global pandemic, and Colorado declared a state of emergency. A few days later, Boulder County had its first confirmed case, and this was still two weeks before the stay-at-home order was issued. The next important relationship that led us to partnering with restaurants was an acquaintance of an acquaintance. Those are always surprising relationships. One of the Rotary groups had canceled their monthly meeting, but the food had already been purchased. I believe their caterer called me directly. She had probably overheard me speaking when she was there working. She was calling to offer the meals she was planning on making for the Rotary. She hadn't even made them yet, but she was gonna get right on it if we could use them. Yes, please. The next relationship was a casual, well, still is a casual work relationship. We see each other very rarely, but really enjoy each other's company. Right after the caterer donation and after the city had closed their buildings, I was at the senior center, not a typical occurrence for me at that time. And she was at the senior center, not a typical occurrence for her either. And we ran into each other in an empty building. We checked in with each other about our kids and then moved to our concerns for older adults in the community and how we were going to possibly get them through this. Through the course of the conversation, I must have told her about the generous caterer. She responded in the most unexpected way. Turns out her husband owns a Charlie's Cheesesteaks at the Flatirons Mall, and the mall had already closed. They weren't allowed to even do food for takeout because of their location inside the building. They had all these ingredients that were going to go bad. Could we take them? Yes, please. The next relationship was a new and important one that finally led to our COVID-modified program model. It was now about a week before the stay-at-home order, but rumors were starting to swirl about how much longer the governor would go. And Carla got a call from a man at the Boulder Office of Emergency Management, or OEM. He tells her that the city of Longmont has said that Longmont Meals on Wheels is an essential service, and we cannot shut down. He is called to brainstorm solutions with her. He describes his job as this. It's his responsibility to think up worst-case scenarios to think of the catastrophes that can affect our community, including the economic hardships that would come along. And then he's tasked with coming up with a framework for solution in detail, including the people, the businesses, the governmental agencies, and charities that he could imagine could help with solutions. 
and he's now calling us. He had called because we were part of his plan for the pandemic, and he needed to talk it through with Carla. She let him know that we were already preparing, that we had already sent out self-stable food for a week, and were building up our store of frozen food. Our kitchen was already in there seven days a week at this point, making meals and freezing them. We had already moved to no delivery volunteers in the building, and staff were taking food to volunteers' cars. He told her we weren't thinking worst-case scenario enough. We had to do the maximum we could to prevent any quarantines. He felt that we needed a stockpile of at least one week of frozen meals in addition to the week of shelf-stable food that we had sent out. And we had to go down to as little contact as possible among staff, staff to volunteers, and volunteers to our participants. But our kitchen was already working seven days a week. He pushed her to think of other solutions. That's when she wondered out loud to him if restaurants could help somehow. It wasn't yet a solution. She was only thinking out loud. She was afraid of putting that kind of pressure on local restaurants at a time when they were financially strapped themselves. But this new relationship was an opportunity to discuss her fears and to discuss the crazy, why the crazy solutions in the back of her mind wouldn't work. He pushed back on her fears of asking for restaurants to continue to give food at this time. And he said, don't ask for it as a donation. Pay for it. The money would come. We would find it. And if we didn't, we would, he would find it himself at the city or county level. He suggested asking for a discount at the most and figuring out the rest later. She then worried about sodium levels and how we could do special diets and lots of other things that we do regularly for our participants. They discussed through it and came to the hard decision that the priority was staying open no matter what, feeding homebound older neighbors and neighbors with disabilities no matter what. We had to make significant changes. So she decided that there would be no more volunteers of any kind in the building, including the kitchen volunteers who were helping to make 525 meals a day. Meals would go out frozen one day a week and would have enough meals to last the whole week. Kitchen staff would make meals to add to restaurant meals in as few days as possible and then go home and watch for any symptoms to emerge for a few days before coming back and starting all over again. Our kitchen manager by himself would coordinate restaurants, get them our containers, pick up meals, and freeze them. We would start sending out all of the meals for a week on a Monday only. In the office, Megan, our program manager, and Annie, the person who could best substitute for her, would never be in the same room at the same time. Every other Monday, one of them would come in and run the program. On the days we weren't delivering, staff would call our participants to check on them from home. Once Carla made these hard decisions and started putting some of them into action with the rest of staff, she called me to see which restaurants we should call first. Our relationships in the community had gotten us to this solution. Now we needed to rely on our relationships to make it happen. I called a friend who used to be a work colleague, but we kept each other when she changed careers. Her husband is one of the owners of Georgia Boys. Our two families had just gotten together at the end of February, and we had joked about stocking up for the pandemic and which cereal did you buy two weeks worth of that you were already eating. 
We had no idea what we were in for, and we just joked about it, speculating if it could really possibly be that bad. She gave me her husband's number, and I immediately passed it on to Carla because they were going to have to have a serious heart-to-heart -heart real fast. Could restaurants do this? Could they afford to? How much could we ask for? Additionally, we hadn't figured out the container situation yet. Our containers are specialty, requiring a special sealing process. The first dollar figure he threw out was generously low. Carla filled him in a little about the OEM's concerns about the future of our local restaurants. He needed to come up with an amount that he thought could also help them keep the lights on. When she brought up the question of containers on how we were going to make that work, he cautioned her saying, oh Carla, I bet you can't even get your containers anymore. She had no idea what he was talking about. Again, we were so naive. You see, with all the restaurants moving to a takeout model like ours, there were no containers to be found. He couldn't find any through the normal restaurant supply places, let alone other places. It was now a get-what-you-can situation. Even though our containers were specialty and required this specialized system, there were none of those to be had either. They didn't really know each other. Their only relationship connection was me, but boy, did they develop an important relationship with each other during that conversation. Two days after this happened, the stay-at-home order was announced. The next Monday, we began delivering for the whole week and one day, and Georgia Boy's food was part of it. Now that we had figured out the plan and the framework, the next restaurants came easier, but they were all still based on this network and web of relationships that all makes community engagement happen. Texas Roadhouse was because the then owners used to be volunteers. Pinocchio's was because of a per personal relationship of the grandkid of one of our office staff. Perry's Pizza was because Carla went there a lot and thought that they were community oriented and would want to help. Which which came along later in the summer after we had stopped sending out only frozen meals and only on Mondays. Carla's daughter had been getting takeout from them and she thought that they could and would be able to do it. Then they saw on social media that our participants were struggling with basic necessities by then. Soap, toothpaste, toilet paper, you all remember. We had started collecting these items too and sending them out to our participants. Which which started sending along some necessities with their sandwiches, often a roll of toilet paper to go with each sandwich. I have no idea how they got so many. You could barely find any toilet paper for yourself at that time. They saw it on social media, and because they already had a relationship with us, they thought they could do more. All of these relationships along the way were in an effort to find one solution that started small and out of reach, and turned into one solution that might actually work to help two community problems at once. Other Meals on Wheels across the nation were starting to even reach out to me to ask how we had done it. Relationships are community building. Share with your friends and acquaintances, even if it's on social media. Share about the issues that concern you. Share about what's going on in your favorite charities or groups. That's how this community engagement gets started.